Welcome to the Sense of Soul podcast. We are your hosts, Shannon and Mandy. Grab your coffee, open your mind, heart, and soul. It's time to awaken. Today we are speaking with a special guest. His name is Bill Ranshaw. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. We are so excited to share with you his energy and his story. Oh, I appreciate that. Thank you both so much for having oh us. So I had the excited. opportunity to speak with you each, and it's just been a fantastic journey meeting each of you. My name is Bill Ranshaw. I grew up here in Denver, and uh, I grew up as a very shy, awkward, skinny kid. And I don't know, maybe not much has changed from that. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I was the I was the kind of person who would run behind furniture and hide in closets when people came to the house. Oh, oh shy! Oh my gosh, the biggest introvert. And I was also, uh, you know, through junior high, high school, I was the type of person that I would have married the first girl that, that said hello or spoke to me. So, <laughs> and uh, I. I had a I have a sister who is who is amazing. She's a big inspiration in my life, and she's the complete opposite, outgoing, extroverted. And uh, I always uh, joke around this saying, I had to check my birth certificate. Think my name was Brandy's brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're only eleven months. We're the Irish twins, wow, supposedly. Okay. Eleven and a half months difference. So wow. um, your but, mom and dad yeah. were getting down. Yeah, I think I was little baby. Oops. <laughs> we all have one of those. Yeah. And uh, after high school, I went to Arizona State, and that's kind of where I got, you know, grew my own wings at, at that point in time, and uh, came came into my own. So, uh, slowly started coming out of my shell yes. at that point in time. I had to come to that fond of the organization called Landmark mm-hmm. that I went through, and that did give me a perspective on life as far as our identities and who we think we are. Most people assume uh, we are the sum of all of our experiences from the past, mm-hmm. and which that's not wrong. There's no right or wrong to that. But if you're using that to look forward into the future on what you want to do and who you want to be, that gives you a very limited filter of how to approach things. Mm-hmm. And Landmark gave me the opportunity to say, we are not the sum of our past. Is That's not our identity. Because mm-hmm. if we're growing up saying, okay, I'm just always funny, I'm charming, but I'm introverted. That's how we're going to approach everything that we do in life. So it serves us well to a certain point, but are there times in our lives where it's not serving us well? Yeah, you have to have growth. Yep. So you start looking at things as what, what type of, Who do I need to be to make this happen? At times you need to be an extrovert. Sometimes you can't be the charming, funny person. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, be, you have to be stern and and, and loving in those, Mm -hmm. in those moments. So it really opened my eye that I'm not really an introvert, but I labeled myself that for so many years. Yeah, we do. We label ourselves. I labeled myself angry um, Mm because as a child, I had a lot of anger and emotions I didn't know how to express. And I carried that all Mm -hmm. the way into my Mm thirties. And it took a therapist basically telling me what you just said Mm -hmm. to kind of, that label off of myself but know that it also it's not a bad thing it's just how I was using it yep exactly I will back up kind of going into my youth and why I'm here and I'll share with the listeners right now it's something extremely extremely personal and very difficult for some people to hear and a lot of people to hear but yet it's something that everybody needs to hear every person man woman young or old Mm -hmm. and is what that is I started watching porn and masturbation at the age of 11. And not just playboys, it started off as that most young men do, and I guess was socially acceptable back in the, you know, in the, you know, yeah. you know 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But it was at that time frame where my dad bought those big giant satellite dishes that go in the backyard. And where it, they look like spaceships. Yeah, exactly. You, but that was an introduction where on-demand pornography really just falls in your lap. Yeah. And 
man, that I, I took advantage of that. Every time my parents would leave the house, whenever I had an opportunity, I was going in and, and just and just watching it. Yeah. At first, was it just curiosity? Curiosity, but you know, starting the puberty, your body, you're you're, mm. you're amped up. I don't know what it was. Be, that's a great question. Just yeah. curiosity, but then it became yeah. feeling. It's like I need, oh, I, need yes. I need a release. I'm coming into that age, that is like when the sacral mm -hmm. chakra, your second energy center, develops, and that is for emotions and feelings and coming to your own, and mm -hmm. you will actually feel the energy of that. That happens to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and being associated with, with where that went for the next eight years because, uh, as I say, I was a late bloomer, which I guess in those days it wasn't. I didn't have sex for the first time until I was 19. So your balls didn't drop yet? <laughs> they, they had dropped. And, uh, I mean, compared to the 50s, I guess, okay, that's that's new age, having sex, you know, unmarried. 19 yeah. years. That's like on the older end. It was, it was, yeah, yeah. I was out, out of high school. My, my parents from, would have been from, pleased. <laughs> oh my God, right? But I will share it, my first time having sex. It, I know everybody says it's awkward. It's always awkward, <laughs> but I did not orgasm my first time having sex. In fact, I faked an orgasm and I thought maybe it was a fluke. I thought that was, I thought, well, okay, first time nervous. And the setting was very, very odd i have on my youtube channel i go into detail kind of the talking about my first experience mm -hmm. and after that i thought well okay so that was it well it turned out it wasn't a fluke the rest of my life was plagued with that same challenge it was plagued yes it was plagued i will say it ended up turning into a world of as i mentioned coming into my own i started working out i started getting attention mm -hmm. i would do a lot of things again at the time having been an introvert i taught myself country dance so i could go out and country dance so i didn't have to approach anybody people would approach me mm -hmm. and then i was physically fit so and then the internet came around at that point in time mm -hmm. so it was kind of a perfect storm and the ability to really meet women and lots of women that also just wanted to have sex mm -hmm. and not making anything mean anything around that for whatever journeys that they were on that i was on for me it turned into not having to be vulnerable or have the fear of being hurt emotionally i just go out and start hooking up all the time and for the next all the way up until 2017 that was my whole life. It was hookups, hookups after hookups. But I don't know why I did it because I was never able to orgasm from sex. I can Were count... you chasing it? I, I don't know. It you was. Know. Was it still pleasurable? Maybe at the beginning it was. I joke around saying, you know, no pun intended. I can count on one hand how many times I orgasmed, mm -hmm. you know, up until 2017. And it was always me having to roll back over when we were done and I'd have to finish myself off and masturbate again. And so I don't know if it was me wanting to know if maybe the next time will be different or whatever it was, or was it self-validation because I was getting to some point that I wasn't feeling lovable or whatever it might be. So I'd go out for a hookup and that was validating because in high school I, I wasn't ever accepted in that way. I mean, for whatever reasons that were around it, I can say definitively that every time it never included connection with the other people, never. And that is the realization that I came to a few years ago that I had to, I had to, I had to shed all of that. So the fact that your life was missing connection is what got you into recovery is because mm -hmm. you were, you wanted connection. I did enter a relationship. It was a long distance relationship with a girl that I started off as a hookup on a vacation, but we were able to see each other very frequently. And it really, I, f I fell in love with her. 
-hmm. I absolutely fell in love with her. And it was the first time I ever really felt intimacy that people talk about. It you wasn't know. just the physical. Yeah, it was the inside jokes. It was. We started watching Breaking Bad together and we got to like the last two episodes and we never got to watch those together. Mm -hmm. I was more upset about that than anything. <laughs> so th that real intimacy. But the challenge that happened through that where it really came to the realization for me was the more intimate and more in love I became with somebody, sexual desire and passion went out the window. And that's what all the years of pornography and masturbation and sex addiction did, is it drove a wedge between that intimacy to, for me, they don't belong. Almost like your brain filed them in separate yeah. categories. Really, almost like a, an actual miswire. They, it was wired incorrectly. And I had noticed pieces of that along my life whenever there was somebody that I started to like as I got into a relationship because, but when I wasn't in a relationship, it's not a brag, but I, I could go and go and go and go and, and go and bang, 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 bang for, you know, 30, 40 minutes. And then again, roll over and finish myself off. And when I started to fall in love with somebody or get close or somebody I liked, sexual dysfunction started to, to set in. And in in that sexual desire, that arousal would would slip away. And I know people say, well, that's that's either marriage or that's what all that is. Well, it's not the way it's supposed to be, and it's not supposed to happen within the matter of, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right, and you desire to please them. The other end, sometimes the woman mm -hmm. might have felt, well, there's something wrong with me then. Mm -hmm. That's that's so that exactly what happened is as she, this particular girl, she ended up thinking after a long period of time that I was cheating on her right. and in some weird way it was a right. complete opposite it's like right. this is a devotion I would love I am to you but it was that 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 complete separation of sexual attraction and that fear of maybe not being able to please but for me it just they did not exist in the same world it just didn't make sense it felt weird that I was having sexual desire towards this person that I was very intimate with yeah. We ended up breaking up, and I couldn't argue. I knew why. I knew why. Couldn't mm -hmm. couldn't fight for it because I needed things about myself. I reached out to a bunch of friends, and was introduced to a uh, uh, a TED talk that was about pornography, and that's the first time I really realized, holy cow! Light bulb. Yeah. Wow. I never thought of myself as a porn addict because it's not like five times a day running, you know, into the bathroom at work or into the basement or whatever. It's like it was. It was like maybe once a day, every couple of days. And like that's what all guys do. Guys talk about that all the time. Yeah. And so, so you kind of normalized it. In yeah. Your mind, it was absolutely. Or, and you probably didn't know that it wasn't normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the first time I really looked at it as an addiction. So this person who uh, I had moved back to Denver, came back into my life and, and cared very much for this person as a friend and big alcoholic and has fought it their whole life. And again, throughout my whole life, I said, don't do this. You can't do it. It reared itself front and center. I was around it every day, but this was the first time that I, ne I never said to them, don't do this. You have to stop. And I think subconsciously I knew yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite somewhere if I say that. So I couldn't mm -hmm. say those words. And so realizing there was nothing I could do for this person, they have to find their own path. They have to realize it on their own. You can't make anybody do anything of their own addictions. They have to find it themselves. I took that as an opportunity to sit back and really look at myself and look inward and say, what is it? Where, what am I being a slave to? What am I addicted to? And I, I, I knew the answer. Yeah. But really come to that humble realization like this has devastated my life in so many different areas. And mm -hmm. that if I want to overcome this, I had the taste of an intimate relationship that I need to stop. 
Because had you had you done Landmark before or after yes, this part? Before or I did okay. Landmark around two thousand. So you kind of had a little bit of a foundation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of connecting with yourself and looking yep. deeply. Great, great question. I did, and in, in that was a time frame and uh, of a lot of self discovery. I'd experienced a lot of uh, loss in my life. My dad passed away when I was twenty four in nineteen ninety six. My mom passed away in two thousand five, okay. and then two thousand seven, I had lost a godson who was seven years old he passed away from leukemia and that was a time where i really went numb to the world and i realized i'm going to have to start some self-evaluation and really becoming opening yourself up to vulnerability i learned a lot of that and so it was maybe a year or so after that i found landmark and i also uh, was able to be fortunate to be part of an organization in arizona a friend of mine who had built a fitness organization loosely based around the landmark principles so i had i've I've had five or six years of really being in that conversation of being vulnerable and 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 just having all that so it does take work i can't tell everybody that it's just it doesn't take work it takes work to really come to that but it was the point of, of having had that knowledge and really to really be able to sit down and look at myself and really go into that place that a lot of people are afraid to look because they might find stuff they don't see that. And realizing in myself that I absolutely wanted to be having an amazing relationship moving forward with somebody in life. I wanted a life partner. I wanted this. And it was March 21st, 2017 when I had that realization. And that was the day my addiction stopped. I wow. stopped pornography and masturbation that day. That day. That day it stopped. And it was the easiest decision I have ever made. Why is that? Why was it, it easy? The conviction of what I knew I wanted in life and the kind of connection I wanted with someone, that this was not going to serve it and that it had to end. Mm-hmm. At, at that moment in time, it had to end. It was keeping end. you from It, it was. Happiness. And there was the TED Talk that I had mentioned before. It said it could take... It could take six months to a year to have some psychological reversal. It took a year and a half reversal. So I have to ask this because it just came to my mind. So it took you wanting intimacy with someone else in order for you to just stop. Mm-hmm. So you were doing it because you were wanting to love someone else, but was it also because you wanted to learn to love yourself? Mm-hmm. I knew I craved connection. Mm-hmm. And I and I had a taste of it, mm-hmm. and I think I did it because it finally got to the point, the fear of doing nothing, finally became much greater than the fear of what the unknown or what I had to lose moving forward. So, what is it that you thought you were going to lose moving forward, and what were some side effects that you felt from your addiction great question that was a great question so complete lack of connection not just with an intimate person someone your significant other but an insincerity and in authenticity with people in general okay because there it evolves in many of us in many different ways but it really boils down to either i'm not good enough or i don't matter the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. all that evolves and so i felt like i am either not worthy or not good enough and i finally realized if I am going to be worthy and good enough. I have to kick this. And how it had shown up in the rest of my life was a massive brain fog, which lifts after you get rid of an addiction. Energy came back. And then realizing what had happened in jobs, that was the big one. It was every two to four years, it was job skipping, becoming unfulfilled, and realizing, what am I, you know, I'm out here doing something for somebody else, that feeling of I'm not good enough to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody's going to find out, you know, I'm not good enough or I'm a fraud again, so you jump jobs. Whatever it might be, it engulfed my whole life. I didn't have a real connection. I did have a connection with some real good friends of mine in Arizona, mm-hmm. which I'm very thankful for, that kind of helped 
you know, crack the that wedge to open that up to start feeling it. Mm -hmm. But it was all of that. that Did you consider yourself a fraud? Yeah. You explain that. Um, I, like, cause your integrity wasn't aligned. Yeah, I felt. Soul? I felt like. I just felt inauthentic to people mm -hmm. to where there I would use again my charm, my humor, whatever it might be to maybe manipulate people in different yeah. ways, more so yeah. women mm -hmm. in that. And I don't want that to sound in, in a negative way. I've always loved yeah. women, but yeah. I was, it was more so of a fear of me getting too close or, or me really being seen and being known. Um, and then the fear of rejection or something like that falling in. So if somebody I'm having a good relationship with somebody, I would find ways to insert ways to make that relationship possibly. So kind of like self-sabotaging. Yeah, absolutely. Mm hundred -hmm. percent. So addiction so lowers your vibration. Now that you had this great period of time where you were able to kick this, has your vibration, do you feel like it's gone up? Um, it's on the way, but I wish I could say the day I stopped that the world just opened up and everything was miraculous. Things, great things did happen within the last three years. I, I was able to, to start with, um, uh, in addition to my, my career as a, as a salesperson for a software company, we also started a production company, film production company. So we had a TV show on Rocky Mountain PBS called Great Colorado Women. We did a documentary film, a short documentary film that actually qualified for Oscar review, which was pretty, pretty sweet. What was that one called? That was called Miss America by Day. And... I also, within the last year, met another amazing woman, amazing woman who I consider my soulmate. It's only it hasn't it's only been seven or eight months, but we really are connected, mm -hmm. and she's just fantastic. But to answer your question, my vibration it's on the way up, but mm -hmm. the big but, other things seeped in in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. So after I kicked the porn addiction, addictions just find their way in and. Mm -hmm. I guess what I kind of describe now that addictions fill that void in our pit of our stomach mm. where, where our purpose is supposed to be, yes. that it's supposed to yeah, guide us and pull us. Yeah. And so after the porn addiction, I had a, a car accident, had a shoulder surgery. I got addicted to opioids for a short period of time. And after medical uh, help, I got off of that. It's not, and I wasn't seeking. It was just, I was prolonged because of the surgery. Yeah. And then shortly after that, because of all the work we were doing on the TV show and the film, cocaine introduced into my life. Mm -hmm. And so that was another thing. Because so you're just trying to keep up with yeah. deadlines and yeah, schedules. Exactly. And... <clears throat> exactly. And the fatigue and maybe some of that brain fog, whatever it was that wasn't allowing me to drive on that own. But again, it was these addictions filling in, but I could feel my calling. What I could feel something bubbling inside me. Like mm -hmm. it's getting there. Like it was lit. Yeah. It's oh, lit. Goodness. It's coming. Just it's coming. Just needed to put some, uh, yeah. some and gas so, on it. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the elimination of the, of, of the porn and sex addiction, that started that fire. Yeah. And so it started going, but it took up just until last last uh, December. Once I kicked, the opioids were kicked, the cocaine was kicked. Do you know that cocaine does not help that problem? No. I, I will say, uh, before I had met this girl, I was able to test the hypothesis and I was able to. <laughs> and you uh, were successful. I was able, I was very successful. So that goes back to after a year and a half, for the first time in my life, after I quit the porn, I was able to orgasm from sex. Yeah. And it was happening all the time. It was yeah. happening, and it was happening frequently, and mm -hmm. to probably to the dismay of the person I was with, it was happening quickly. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm so, like a 14 year old. I know, but I would well, hold on. Mind, yeah. I just have to throw this out there. Men tend to think that women love to go 30, 40 yeah. minutes. It, that is not true. So we, sometimes we would prefer yeah. it's just a way man. Thank you, man. Yeah. But the first time I like, like, this is what it is. I mean, yeah, That's just awesome. dancing yeah. in my own head around the room. Like, yes, oh my I'm God. Tired. Oh my gosh. Well, so being that I'm in recovery from something completely different, I think it's important to to let the listeners know, you know, that they say, you know, it's very common that when you get rid of one addiction that you do feel Mm -hmm. it could be healthy things too, like exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very common that that we're trying to fill that void. And the devil, they say, does push-ups when you start to recover. He's like, here I am. That's a good point, Mandy. Healthy addictions come in and it usually results into going overboard on anything like uh, massively eating healthy, working out, becoming a workaholic, doing yeah. all those things. I but, became a, I became a shopaholic. I started shopping a lot to fill yeah. that void. I, yeah, all those all those fit in. Coffee. Yeah. Yep. Your brain <laughs> it just like will go right back to that dopamine drop and yep. just be like Well, give me more, give and me that more. is so important to talk about too because an addiction is an addiction is an addiction. Mm-hmm. There's no comparing. I think a lot of people think, oh, because I'm taking pills that are hidden in my pocket and I'm not a fallen down drunk that I'm better than you. I have so much admiration for you because no one was there to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. No one knew it was going on. Mm -hmm. You could have gone on with this for the rest of your life because you do yours in the privacy of your own room by yourself. Alcoholics, we're out there. Everyone knows. Pill addicts, it ends up, you know, it's pretty obvious too. There's a lot of signs in their pupils and stuff, but yours is like invisible. It really is. It is one of the most silent addictions Mm -hmm. and it is one of the slowest killers, Mm -hmm. but really understanding of how it engulfs your entire life. It's not just sexual. For me, that's Mm -hmm. the biggest part Mm -hmm. that I'm overcoming because that's the biggest dysfunction it put, but really having that, that, that lack of self-worth that covered my whole life because I didn't have my own calling. I was always trying to latch onto other people's and Mm -hmm. figure, oh, this guy's doing something really cool. I want to go after his, his dream. And I was, that's not what I'm after either. And then just, it, yeah. that's exactly how it is but when that cloud lifts when you get rid of that addiction mm-hmm. that's when you're that starts that inside what you're meant to do starts bubbling out but it is it is absolutely you have to be it's self accountable mm-hmm. it's pretty it's neat so that I had close friends that I reached out to one of the people who gave me that TED talk I mean it's good to have guy friends that you can do that <laughs> yeah. and joke around with yeah. we call it no fap that's the whole movement of non-masturbation and non-porn <laughs> And my buddy would call me. He's oh, like, hey, God. how are you doing? Did you fap today? Oh, and we boy. would joke around. So you had a small support group. Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. I, had a, I had a good. That's important because you need that. In your first year, you know, your brain was literally releasing chemicals when you were doing this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, a lot of times with addictions, it takes almost an entire year mm-hmm. for your brain to go back to normal yeah. from that. Mine was a year and a half. And along the lines on those that I've mentioned before, social media is one. A lot of people talking about that. Dating sites, all the dating apps are out there. It's the exact same thing. I was addicted to the dating apps. Um, In the early days, it was because it was easy to meet somebody. You could do it. But then I got to the point where I would get on and swipe. Dopamine hit. It's the same thing as as getting a like on Facebook, whatever it might be. You get a swipe, there's a connection, boom, dopamine hit. It's the same thing. To the point where, okay, I've connected. I really don't need to say anything now. I didn't want to connect. Maybe say hi or hello. Yeah, it's like I don't even want to engage with this person because I know where it's going to go. We're going to talk. We're going to connect. Maybe we'll go hook up. And it was just this vicious cycle. But still that dopamine hit of still wanting to connect with people and and self-validation in myself. Oh, great. This is a really attractive girl connected with me. What inspired you to share your story? Because I need to really want to connect with so many people and young people particularly Mm -hmm. because... 
the research is out that the young people that are being exposed to porn up until the age 18, almost a quarter, 25% of those people are under the age of 10. And so they're going to go down. I felt like at the, at the time I was maybe a little bit towards that end because I was had that access to hardcore porn at 11 with that satellite dish where most kids probably didn't have that at my age. So I was more towards the, what kids are today mm-hmm. and, and the challenge that I've had. But I also, I'm still searching for answers myself. So I was very rewarded by being vulnerable and mm-hmm. sharing with people before on a small scale. Well, and you, you shared with me that you got a taste for it because mm-hmm. you were very brutally honest with a group of your mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. And the response back was non-judgment. It opened them up. And I think that's what being yeah, authentic and vulnerable does. I mean, we all fear it, but really it's that connection and it's how we help other mm-hmm. humans. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, uh, vulnerability that I have learned is the most raw and the deepest form of connection that we have with somebody. We can have it on other levels, whether it be around sports or work or hobbies or things like that, Mm -hmm. but in in true vulnerability, that's where you gain a connection with somebody that just doesn't get broken. So you're right, I had a taste of that with about 20 guys and they all reached out to me, I say majority reached out Mm -hmm. with something similar in their own life and then really like, wow, Bill, you've been a great friend for all these years, but Mm -hmm. I really feel connected to you now, I wanna share my story. Going into Maryland's film was a big piece of that. Miss America by Day is the documentary film that we did about Marilyn Vandenberg, who is a Denver Denver native. She was Miss America in 1958, big prominent family here in Denver. And in 1990, uh, her father passed away, and then it came out that her father had been molesting her from the age of 5 to mm-hmm. 18. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was a shockwave around the world because she was so well-known at the time as, as a TV star, motivational speaker, personality. And... At that point in time, she changed her course of her life mm-hmm. to become an advocate for sexual abuse survivors. And so the documentary we did, it focuses on that, but we also focus it around the support system. And primarily, it's a really love story between her and her husband, high school sweethearts. And that really is a key to all of this that we talk about is to have that support. There are people in their li- in your life. If you've shunned people away from your life that have cared about you, reach back out to them. Get that one person that you can connect with again that is there for you and start that support system. So that's what that, that documentary film was about. I loved the documentary so much. I loved the love story. The one part that I loved that was highlighted is that the overcoming of shame. And I think that it was the psychologist who had said that the abused are actually carrying the shame of the perpetrators and releasing that shame back to them. Because why should this innocent victim carry the shame of what this perpetrator did? He should be carrying, or she should Mm -hmm. be carrying the shame, not the one who was abused. And that really was a strong message. That is a huge piece of the film. And I will say gladly today, Marilyn has become a an amazing friend of mine. I talk to her on a regular basis every few days, and Larry and her daughter Jennifer. In fact, it was the film that towards the end of December, after I got off the cocaine and I was getting ready to go back to my sales job uh, after having a few weeks off at work, where I realized I can't, I can't go back to that job. I can't. This is what I was meant to do, is share the experience of addiction, of, of porn and sex addiction with the world. One, two, educate and inspire but also learn and gather about myself because that's what fed Marilyn along all the way. So she inspired you. She absolutely did. Her Her story story did. I feel like that and I think Mandy you do too. Like when we hear like your story Mm -hmm. it's inspiring and it helps us grow too Mm -hmm. and 
and you just kind of like feed off of each other. Mm. I think that connectedness is universal. Yeah. It's it, it's the the inspiration of feeling somebody else's vulnerability mm-hmm. and realizing, wow, I can be safe in that space. Right. I can really be safe if I do that. There isn't the shame, yeah. and which I'm thankful. Because I never, your story. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at first, Mandy and I were kind of like, wait. You know, like, yeah. how are we you took a that? very creepy topic yeah. that a lot of people don't want to talk about, and there's a lot of judgment around it. Mm-hmm. And they've taken something very uncomfortable and creepy and turned it into something extremely enlightening. Yes. And not only that, but you've helped me to see the side of it that is like the emotional part of it, the effects that it had on your soul, your relationships. I mean, there's so much more to it. It's not just about yeah. this freaking pervert behind a yeah. freaking video screen. Yeah, and that's a great point. And this comes back to one of the greatest lessons I've learned. The two biggest greatest that I've learned, and Landmark really cracked the door open on that as well, um, around gratitude and compassion. Mm. And so many people... Again, you you want to hate people who do vile and despicable things and not to excuse anything that they've done. Mm -hmm. But to understand, and for me to understand my story, uh, there was an A&E special around that same time in 2008, nine. I was watching and it was the mind of a serial killer. And as I'm watching that, and those shows are popular today and everybody's tuned into it, but the common thread was numbness. People became numb and after my godson passed away, I became numb. I wasn't, I didn't feel depressed. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel happy. I felt really nothing. I was existing. And that documentary talked about that when you get to that point, you become suicidal or homicidal. That was the shake that I needed to realize by no means am I near that, but if I don't do something, Mm -hmm. absolutely I can see how that path is achieved and how people go down that. And Landmark helped me to have that understanding of compassion because my phrase that, that I like to say is hate cannot live in the space that compassion holds. And if you really think about that is you can, somebody can do despicable things, but why have hate? I, I had a near death experience when I was skiing one time and I hit a tree skiing, but as I fell and I was sliding on the ice, and this was, this was maybe, oh, 2011 or 12, I had about a minute to reconcile my life where they say your life flashes before your eyes and it wasn't the stuff that I hadn't done or you know people in my life or anything is what came to mind in that one minute was I can't believe I had let worry or anger or hate fill moments of my life that was the regret that I had and when I miraculously survived after playing Plinko through a bunch of trees at 43 miles an hour, I did a little wow. ski tracker. Um, that was the life lesson I learned at that point in time. And having compassion for people who do the most despicable things, not to excuse it, mm-hmm. but to understand, as, as you say, um, somebody might look at me and say, yeah, you, you dirty pervert, you're, you're jerking off all the time. It, again, it's something inside that's a path that led somebody to that. That It's deeper than Yeah, that. there's no manual when we're six years old that tells us how to make meaning out of things. So did you find that gratitude and compassion mm. for yourself? Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So self-love. Yeah. I'm going to cry. <laughs> no, no cry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's so unfortunate mm-hmm. that as children we're not taught, taught that. We're taught... You know, that's, Shanna's taught yeah. me, she says it over and over again, mm-hmm. that that's what our needs to be done and changed mm-hmm. in this world, mm-hmm. is that our children need to be taught 
self-love mm -hmm. the challenge is it's it's the same as when you're on an airplane you put the mask over yourself before you help a child i never understood that and yeah the it happens in real life we can mm -hmm. say that and parents can mm -hmm. say that well we need to teach our the parent has to come to that realization first you yeah. have to do that first before you can recognize and be able to express that to your child mm -hmm. and understand the power that we have in being able to associate meaning to things that happen to us as opposed to just react and let it naturally wire we can make powerful meanings out of anything that empower us in our lives as mm -hmm. opposed to becoming victims and unreactive and not powerful and becoming weak where do they lose their self-worth or self-love and then i realized that they don't come into the world with self-love and it's not taught so i think that really it always goes back to this like the parents right mm -hmm. now today that have the opportunity to teach their children self-love that's where it's at it really comes down to because it's around that age five or so where children start having self-identity mm -hmm. and without getting too psychological um or into that realm but it really does come down to the ego that's where your ego starts becoming developed oh, no, we you can, can go right into that. that. <laughs> yeah. that's so, right up our alley we yeah. talk about it so we, we do time. and that was the realization i've had over the last yeah. few years through a lot of meditation is really understanding that ego is just another part of our brain even though we all live in that snow globe we live inside of that ego where this is the reality this is what it is and this is how it's supposed to be and it is definitely a separatist feeling of everything in the world yeah. but when you're able to meditate and get past that ego and understand that it that is just a snow globe on the shelf of this whole other world yeah. outside of that's it. exactly what i kept thinking about and for you it was you were looking through gratification mm -hmm. through a film in your hands mm -hmm. i was looking for it through drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. teaching our children mm -hmm. that nothing out here in the world can make us happy adults have to come to that realization of their own ego and be able to put yeah. that aside and realize that that is just one part of our being and mm -hmm. start recognizing that and having real conversations with with our kids mm -hmm. kids have this misperception that we're grown-ups and that okay we're grown up we haven't figured out well the secret or the joke is on them that we're still the same as them we've just had a lot more experience yeah. Yeah. screwed up yeah. right but, yeah absolutely but coming to that realization having those conversations with kids and even though they they sound like children and they they, they talk funny and they don't have all the vocabulary on a spiritual level the spirit is the same as our spirit. The, the age is there. Yeah, and again, I, 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 am, I don't consider myself completely spiritual. I don't consider myself religious. I just consider myself a being. Mm -hmm. And having that, that realization and talking a little bit about research around psychedelics, which is something that I've been researching a lot about, is if you study the mind of somebody on psychedelics, such as, I'll, I'll use psilocybin mushrooms, monks who meditate or people who meditate all the time, and young children, the brain patterns are the same. So up until around the age two or three, children are actually living in a state of psychedelic. <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, they're in theater they're brain tripping. waves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that. I found that to just be fascinating. It's 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 a world that I've explored, mm -hmm. and it's really been a big piece of my understanding what my piece of my being in the world versus my physical body and my ego. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's you know ego has its purpose, but mm -hmm. it also does a lot of things to disserve you yep. as much as it does to serve you. Well, I was reading earlier that porn addiction, especially, is traumatizing for children and teens because their brains are still developing. Mm -hmm. It can cause emotional disturbances and mental health if untreated. It really is because that on the extremes, it does. It can cause rapists and cause murderers. It can cause all that. Yeah. It does go back to the fact of having the compassion for somebody. People say, how do you stop that? It, it comes from either having been sexually abused when you were young. The perpetrator does horrible, evil, bad things, but also understanding that didn't just happen either. At the very maybe half a percent or one percent, mm -hmm. people are just evil.
but for mm-hmm. the most part, people's lives have shown well, up in such a way that, yeah. that they that they end up on that path. Like the the pain body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are acting out of their pain body. And again, that doesn't excuse them. Mm-hmm. Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that. I think that's where I find compassion for people. That when they're lashing out at me or doing something to me, I know that they're just acting out of their pain body. Mm-hmm. And Shanna, you taught me that. You shared his book with me. When someone pain is coming out they need somewhere to put it Mm -hmm. and if you are if you become that person that takes it all the time Mm -hmm. then you know a lot of times they'll definitely want to be around you a lot because they enjoy getting this release of their pain Mm -hmm. but if you learn to be able to identify that you are dealing with someone's pain and not really the person anymore and choose to detach from that and not engage detach with love you teach that person to be able to sit in their own pain and figure it out for themselves and of course you're free from it Mm -hmm. and in that moment if you're able to be present with their pain all you feel is compassion for it it is and it goes back to conversations uh, around vulnerability teaching someone to be vulnerable in a powerful way as opposed to vulnerable is in being a victim well, yeah, yeah that's, that's important. Because, yeah. so yeah. Shanna, what did you think vulnerability yeah. was growing you know, up? People praise Mandy for being vulnerable, and I've always thought that vulnerability was a weakness. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably just taught in my family. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't share your weaknesses, mm-hmm. and I have always had an issue with being vulnerable. And to what the point you said, being strong enough to hold that space for somebody, because the way it works, victims will find enablers. It happens all the time, all day long. That's why empaths and narcissists are Or become enablers. Yeah, or become enablers. But but to have that self-awareness and that strength in your own to be a support but not an enabler, but also know that when when to walk away from somebody, it's not your job to fix anyone. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can hold space, and if they're drawn towards you Mm -hmm. and want to find that space within themselves to do it, but you can't just continue working and trying to fix somebody where it's not going to because that's going right. to drain energy off of you. I definitely used to be that person. Mm-hmm. I felt that I wasn't vulnerable. And she said, I think you are vulnerable. I am vulnerable with individuals. Mm-hmm. But my purpose, I found, is not to be the voice like Mandy. And she likes to share her vulnerability. And she likes to do this like worldwide. Yeah. Yes. Tell everybody. Also has to do a lot with our chakras and who right. we are as yeah. characters. I'm more in the throat. Mm-hmm. I'm all about speaking my truth. Yeah. Obviously, you are too. I, yeah. And again, never would I have ever thought that. But there, there's no right or yeah. wrong. When yeah. your calling comes flying out, mm-hmm. you just want to put it out there. But knowing you have the strength in yourself to not to be taken advantage of, victimized by it, Mm -hmm. and knowing when to shut those voices down or those trolls, whatever it is that wants to come at you for passing judgment, but being strong enough to say, I'm going to hold space. All you trolls, all you bad people out there, do what you need to do, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to hold space for everybody else that's dealing with this, and I'm inviting them in. You know, I guess I kind of could relate to it in some way when I shared my story of my ancestry, Mm -hmm. that whole episode it was very brave of me. <laughs> well, and it starts, it, when you share your story, it starts a ripple effect. And you've had people reach out to you because you did share that, that are now in a better place with their ancestral healing. And so it's that whole wave effect. So again, it releases the vulnerability, yeah. and that's where people can connect, and that's where you're going to inspire somebody. Having commitment and doing something that you know is in your right and your being. We've all been guilty of this. Maybe you clean the house for your significant other or, the, or you come home and you, you've cooked dinner for them and there's not, a, there's not an appreciation for it or something and then you pass judgment, resentment builds. But the real key and something to work towards is doing something. It can be for somebody else, 
but do it completely detached from expectation and yeah, outcome. So always, you really yeah. have to do that and, yeah. and, and embrace when something doesn't go the way that maybe you anticipated. Yeah. You can't just um, do things to receive praise. Yeah, because it's completely inauthentic when you were doing something and you have to just let it let that be. You know, when I did my uh, fourth step with my sponsor, uh, she said something to me that was the biggest slap in my face, but I needed to hear it. I, you know, I'm, I was a people pleaser. So I was always going out doing these things and saying, look, I did this and I mm-hmm. did this. And she goes, yeah, but you're selfishly doing them. Mm-hmm. You were doing them to fill that hole in your soul to feel better about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. wow. She's right. Mm-hmm. That is, goes along with right with what you were saying. Yeah. I used to, I used to say that years ago in my own deceiving little manipulative way, I would say one, I would always argue there's no reason to ever get married because why would you need to, why would you want to be with somebody when you have the opportunity to have someone with you when you want them? Everybody <laughs> is selfish in everything they do. That was the side I was living on. I said, people go down and work at a soup kitchen because they are personally rewarded by that because they feel good about themselves. But when you really do get on the other side of it, there is real selflessness because you are doing not just to feel good about yourself because it's just what you do. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's natural for empaths to want to do for others because it is just like part of our being so i think that a lot of people who are sensitive and empaths find themselves in positions where they're constantly doing for others and this can easily turn very dysfunctional and turning to codependency well, and enabling and when, when you get to that state of being as you've both experienced and i've experienced within the last couple of years as outside of that ego and in that world of the universe of that complete state of being and just existing where there is no better, there's no doing more, there's no doing less, there's no worse. It's just a state of being. There's nothing that you have to do, need to do. It is an existence of really no time. Yeah, you are connected to everything in that. Yeah, just be. And the whole point of what all this is, people want to know what the meaning of life is. And, and that's what we humans are specifically. We're meaning-making machines. We want to associate meaning to everything. And really, they're... There is, there is no purpose because at some point in time, we're going to end up in that state of being again, whether we're going to be conscious of it or not. I feel that like you have gratitude stops. in some way for your little addiction that you have. Oh, that is the or great. big. It's so funny because I'm, I'm, putting a, <laughs> I'm putting a video together um, about that, and I, and I just mentioned that. And really because mm-hmm. once I came to this realization I stopped the porn, what came into play was resentment towards it. It wasn't regret. It was not a regret. For some reason, I never regretted that I did all that, but it was resentment towards it. But when I finally came out about this mm-hmm. and that this is my purpose, it became the, that resentment immediately dropped and turned into the biggest sense of gratitude. Mm-hmm. Because if me having done all those experiences, gone through all of that and had those things, I still feel like I've had a great life, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that could have been different. Mm-hmm. But it's gratitude because it's provided me the strength and power and vulnerability to, I don't know, fall on the sword, whatever it might be for yeah. those who are afraid, who are scared. Because I don't care. I will. I am out there. And come join me. I have your yeah. back. You are not alone. You've been, you? not You've been able to go so deep within mm-hmm. to understand this about mm-hmm. yourself. You would have never known that part of no. you. If you share with our listeners where they can go on your YouTube channel or if there's a, someone out there. Because this isn't just a problem for men. This is a problem for women too. Mm-hmm. Where they could go to maybe reach out. Yeah, I, first of all, me. Reach out to me. My email address is ranshawbill at gmail. That's R-A-N-S-H-A-W-B-I-L-L at gmail.com. 
Uh, you can search my YouTube channel. There's, it will yeah. be a source of all kinds of contacts. If you're awesome. a young person to connect with somebody that you are around this, somebody to watch who I've, who I've watched, he's awesome. He's a young gentleman in his 20s named Elijah Long. It's E-L-I-S-H-A Long. This guy is amazing talking specifically around porn and not masturbation, but he gives amazing self, you know, self-help. He's like the Tony Robbins for younger people. Awesome. And, and I think that's important that you're mentioning the younger people because you said something to me when you'd first reach out to me. One of the main reasons you want to get the word out there because your recovery process was like a year and a half. I mean, if you're like me, my recovery is for the rest of my life. Right. It's a nonstop battle mm-hmm. and you have to keep putting in the work forever, every mm-hmm. single day. Mm-hmm. But... Realistically, the younger generations, because of the access they have to it so easily on social media these days, it might be irreversible for it them. It might be. And that, I don't want to do that to scare anything off, but that is why we need to reach, reach young people today. Mm-hmm. My scenario, again, I, I, I don't want to say I'm fully recovered. The habit yeah. has stopped. The addiction itself has stopped. Mm-hmm. But I still suffer. The relationship that I'm in with this amazing woman, we fell so deeply in love. We are, we, we are mm-hmm. so connected. However... The, the challenge arose. It yeah. is. I, there's it, still yeah. sexual dysfunction with inside my relationship with this woman. It's way better than it used to be. We're, there's still times we can do it. We are working on it. She works on it with me. There's understanding. There is compassion on her end. You can still find that love that you need to have even though you have this problem. So that's a message of hope as well around all of it. You just brought this whole other aspect to this just very surface idea of what a porn addiction is. Because... I never would have thought about the level of problems it brought to your emotions. Because basically, to recap, is what you're saying is these women that you were just hooking up with, you respected all of them. Mm-hmm. But the ones you truly loved or felt a connection with were ones you were actually having a problem orgasming with. Mm-hmm. Going back to the deception and destructiveness of what pornography is, because any other addiction usually doesn't start later in life. I mean, there are kids doing alcohol, they're doing a lot of that stuff, but when it's recognizable, it is all that. I haven't done a lot of research around the other ones. Mm -hmm. I know there is a lot of brain rewiring, but pornography, it is definitely a mental drug that Mm -hmm. causes rewiring in your brain. Like a cocaine or something where where you can get off of it, you're gonna notice kind of right away. It's not night and day, but within a year after, the brain fog list, a lot of self-awareness will come around it. But again, it's. It's a deep drug. It's nobody a mind knows. fuck. Yeah, it controls no. you and you have no idea it's no. even controlling and you. And nobody else knows. That's the thing. Nobody mm-hmm. else knows. And the statistics are pretty scary. People ages 10 to 12, 1 in 10 are considered addicted to pornography. Again, that's them saying that. What's the realistic number around that? It could be higher. So again, I go, anybody who is listening to this, reach out to me. Share the story. Mm-hmm. Share the podcast. Get it in front of anyone. If it's speaking to you, then reach out. Reach out to me. The whole point, again, is you are not alone. You're not broken. There's hope. I will be a mentor. Don't be ashamed. I had, like, this epiphany sitting here. You know, I had sex when I was a sophomore in high school. Again, the first time was like, uh, really? That's it? And I never had a connection, actually, truly, until probably later in my 30s. And I've been married since I was 23 years old. I couldn't have that deep connection until I learned to connect with myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now that I'm thinking about it, no guy made me orgasm until yeah. I was like in my 30s. <laughs> yeah. No one even yeah. know how to get there. Yeah. Man, I'm to draw my fucking map. It is. In, in, in... <laughs> I mean, wait a minute. Oh, right. hold up. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's another important piece to it. Connect with yourself first. Mm-hmm. Get to yes. know yourself first. I like 
like that. And then you can connect with someone else. It goes else. back to putting the mask on yourself on the airplane before you help somebody else. But the easiest things that you can start working on to kind of crack that piece of self-awareness is gratitude. That is the easiest to understand and accept, but really do it. And you can test it. You can practice it. When you're out somewhere, you can be in a convenience store. You can be in a drive-through, wherever it might be. If it's late at night or on a weekend. Connect with a person that is providing service to you, whether it's again somebody behind a counter, it's at a restaurant. Look at that person and connect and thank them. Really thank them for being there of service to you because it's something you didn't have to do. Mm -hmm. And so that's one piece of gratitude that you can start working on. And when you, you have do that, to be present to do yes, that. And that's what it does. And you will notice in that moment, that person will connect with you. You'll have a connection mm -hmm. with somebody and it will lift them up for the rest of the day. The other piece I about agree. gratitude that, that um, people can work on is, is, as another takeaway is understanding how do you receive gratitude. Many people, again, they don't receive gratitude. Yeah, Somebody will say, that's, that's a fantastic dress or you look great today. That's and people so say, oh, this old thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I just yeah. pulled this out. This is what that is, is to receive someone mm -hmm. else's gratitude. Yeah. And feel it. Just don't go, yeah. oh, thanks. But you if know, you don't it. do it, if you shut it mm -hmm. off, is what you're doing is you are shutting that person down you from, from what they energy. want to do of giving you something. Yes. You're shutting them down. So receive people's gratitude mm, as much you as you give it. That. That so that's so the yeah, first thing yeah. that you can start on as a takeaway. The other one, again, share the story, share this podcast, because if you don't know what to do, you don't know where to begin to start. If you, maybe there's someone in your life that you know, just share the story yeah. because that alone can change somebody else's Powerful. life. It will get in front of somebody that will say, I need to reach out. Just share it. You don't have to do anything else than, other than that, than that, because that will get in front of the right person that can save a life. I really appreciate you sharing with us your story. And like I said, I really thought I was going to feel very uncomfortable talking about this. And your delivery, so honest and vulnerable about it, it does not make it creepy. And I really appreciate mm -hmm. that. If this is a problem in your life or is disrupting who you are as a person, don't look for differences in the story. Look for similarities. You were able to just stop one day and be done. You know, we also have to have gratitude for ourselves and be gentle with our own souls because some of us will relapse. I mean, I relapsed many mm -hmm. times in my addiction. And if you do, be gentle and just start again. The real definition of integrity is the, the state of being whole and complete. So think of a bicycle tire. If you're riding a bike, you hit a rock, your tire bends. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's broken integrity. It doesn't mean it's bad, it doesn't mean it's just broken integrity. You repair it and you move on. Yep. That's the same thing. If you have a relapse, it's not a judgment on yourself. Apologize, have the integrity, move on. There's mm -hmm. nothing, There's that's all it is. There's no right or wrong. It's just a state of being of integrity, being a state of complete and whole. I guess we should wrap it up. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully you did all those years. Just kidding. <laughs> 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 Man, all you. those years are rolling dice. <laughs> but yeah, that is. No, but like, you know, the rhythm of it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, I am so grateful to you. I love that we cross paths. You know, we went to the same high school. We know a lot of the same people. You are why I share my story. Because if I wouldn't have shared my story, you wouldn't have contacted me. Yeah. And then that's going to start happening to you. And you're, mm -hmm. someone's going to contact you. And it's such yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Back to oneness. I find that I just feel happy mm -hmm. around you. I know. That's why I said you have to have like a year, at least a yearly Bill Ranshaw <laughs> episode. Um, yeah. And again, my, my gratitude, Mandy, goes out to you for being vulnerable. You mentioned you reached one person. You reached me. And I reached oh, out to you. Oh, that's yeah. why I do it. It. I want to hug. Awesome. Right. Well. Yeah. Thank you Thank so you. much.
Thanks for being with us today. We hope you will come back next week. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate, like, and subscribe. Thank you. We rise to lift you up. Thanks for listening.